This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick once again. It is the week four offensive evaluation. I'm going to say the score. The Ravens lost 9-12. to We all saw it. Let's not repeat that score ever again. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back in the studio now uh, rather than our last episode, though I, it was very informative to get ready for this Titans game. Yeah, it was cool to have him on. So uh, I... I Mike uh, Herndon from uh, MusicCityMiracles.com, and I encourage you to go take a look at that uh, or go take a listen to that podcast. He did a very good job of explaining the personnel and schemes for the Titans. Yeah, perfect per- perfect podcast to listen to as you're prepping this week on Sunday morning. In fact, it's a 4 o'clock game. You've got extra time on Sunday to listen to this. There you do. Um, all right, let's get into this Browns loss. We we already broke down the defense. We uh, talked about Baker Mayfield and how he he's his emergence into the NFL is going to be trouble for the Ravens in the future. Mm-hmm. But the Ravens kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot. This was a bad loss. Yeah, cer- certainly is a bad loss. It's a bad divisional loss. Uh, you know, it's not that terrible for for a, it, in fact it doesn't matter for a tiebreaker with the Steelers or Browns because they both have a tie. But it might well matter if they finish in a tie with the Bengals. And it's also an AFC loss for purposes of, of uh, losing an AFC tiebreaker for the wild card. So all, all bad in that sense. Uh, you know, it also resurrects the Browns, and it's a game in the standings. So you throw all that together, and, uh, and it's a bad loss. Right, exactly. I mean, the fact that the, the Browns are resurrected and we got a loss, and now we got to think about the Browns along with the Steelers, it, it is. It's a bad loss. Um, there's lots of talk going on because, of course, sports talk radio and everyone goes to extremes. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
yeah, I thought maybe we should just deal with some of that, deal with some of the talk and the <laughs> statements that are out there to begin this show. Well, I mean, it, it's, you can really take your pick, but we could probably, if you, you make a good contest, if we could each say one for a while, but I'm just going to go through my list here is, uh, you know, the Ravens are always accused of abandoning the run. And they should cut Crabtree, of course. They should bench Flacco for Jackson. Everybody, of course, wants to shuffle the offensive line. We'll get to that a little later. And one of my favorites, and kind of a, it's maybe one of my favorites because it's a slightly new one, but it's still context-dependent and not very completely thought out, is that the Ravens always run into an eight-man box. And that's, that's something that you know we see on Twitter a lot recently. It's actually kind of funny, I think, in terms of, of what it means. The eight-man box is something the Ravens encourage, okay? Because when you put a fullback on the field with one tight end, you will face a tight seven-man defensive front and a single high safety. You will not face cover two, which means that other safety is coming up in the box to play, and you'll have eight men in the box virtually by definition. And it's a choice you make as a running team because you really have a choice of, forcing the nickel by putting a third wide receiver on the field, which allows you to run into a five or six man box or running into an eight man box, but having this one extra outstanding blocker in the form of Pat Ricard that uh, is always at the point of attack or can always be at the point of attack. So it's a choice that teams make. Uh, The other reason the Ravens have run into a fair amount of eight man box this year is that they have uh, had some leads in three out of the five games and some pretty significant leads. When you do that, you give up expected points, you give up expected yards to pick up expected wins because you're trying to close out the game. And, and by right. doing so, you, you, you run the ball and do it. You know, teams uh, run because they win. They don't win because they run is the old statement. So I've uh, been over that. You know, we, we have a few times, haven't we? So anyway, if you, if you want to, if you want to blame somebody for the Ravens running into eight man, eight man box, blame Patrick Ricard because he's one of the few really good fullbacks in football or blame the uh, defense and offense together for, for piling up some good leads in three of the five games. That wasn't a problem this week uh, that uh, shut down the, or uh, shut down the opportunity to run into a seven and six man box. All right. So basically you're saying none of those excuses are valid. That's, I'm basically saying I, I think the, the, the statistic is so context-dependent that it doesn't make a lot of sense. There is another circumstance also, by the way. When the, when the Ravens run their short yardage plays, their third and one that they've been successful almost every time this year, they usually run a quarterback sneak with Joe Flacco. That's usually run out of three tight ends and two backs as the formation. And you know, so occasionally it's something slightly different from that, but it's almost always into an eight or nine or ten-man box. And when that's the case... They're, it's not like they're failing at it. Why? You know, that, that's certainly not a, not anything to cite in terms of an eight plus man box. So, anyway, those are the those are the uh, uh, problems I have with that statistic. I got you. My my favorite of all of those uh, radio callers and Twitter posters is the bench Flacco for Lamar Jackson, because clearly they haven't been watching football this year. If they think Lamar <laughs> Jackson can can do move any offense, right? Well, he's he's he is. He's so not ready. It's not. It's it's comical. Except he's on the field a fair amount, and it's actually a little hurtful uh, when he is. They they need to they need to find some other ways to use Lamar that are not exactly the way they're doing now. The wildcat snap is not as um, uh, effective as they could have hoped. Uh, he is a little bit dangerous on third and short, but that's also taking the ball out of Flacco's hands on those downs, which is dangerous as well. So I'm I'm. Uh, I'm not entirely sanguine about the current use of of, uh, of Jackson. I'd really like to see him used more as a receiver. I, I like the idea. You know what? I like him third and short on the goal line instead of trying to pass it. I, I'm, I'm open for that. Are you talking about like maybe third and three at the goal line or third and one? Because that seemed to be the Flacco quarterback sneak area. Yeah, yeah, but, th- uh, maybe third and three. Yeah, third and one, I would think Flacco. Flacco has done a good job with that just – push and they even made a point of that on Sunday with how our line does a really good job getting low for Flacco and mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point but uh all right let's get to this game so basically they lost a road game to an up-and-coming team uh interdivision so they got hyped up uh, the fans still hate Baltimore so they always have a loud crowd when you go there yeah uh, good win for the Browns and and honestly they are a good young team and they're they're a team that has a chance to make a playoff run this year. 
uh, you know, certainly not a not a zero chance. I don't look at this and say this is a real embarrassing loss. I look at it as a you know a, a costly loss, but uh, but one that uh, the Ravens had about a sixty percent chance to win, and they didn't convert it. Right. I I told someone after the game I was more mad at myself for not expecting this with the Ravens because it <laughs> seems like they fall into a game like this uh, every year, and it seemed like the perfect trap game to come after a Steelers uh, match. But uh, let's get to it. Let's get to Flacco. Let's get to ample time and space. Okay, so ample time and space, something we go over most episodes. Flacco uh, in in this game had 42% ample time and space, unbelievably 25 out of 59 dropbacks. That's a hellacious number of dropbacks for one football game, of course. Uh, that's a little bit below average, but Flacco also underperformed his opportunity set by about 51 yards in this game. Uh, that wasn't good. People will point to drops, which were a factor. Crabtree had an awful game. His his costs, his drops were more costly in terms of the end zone and a couple first downs than they were uh, big yardage losses. So you know, maybe it's 25 yards uh, was lost in terms of Crabtree, but uh, more importantly, one touchdown and a couple first downs were lost because of Crabtree. So uh, you know that was bad, but uh, but there were worse things about it. Uh, the Browns really did not rush numbers the entire game. In fact, they rushed less as the game went on. In overtime, they rushed three men on a fair number of plays. And I'm looking at it right in front of me here. They rushed three men on two separate plays in overtime, the last three plays of regulation. And from the last three plays of regulation on, they had pressure on three separate three-man rushes. Now, that's not supposed to happen, folks. That's really bad. But uh, they did a good job of not rushing with numbers. And, you know, oftentimes you'll hear it said that why is it only the pass rusher who gets tired as the game goes on? Shouldn't the offensive line sometimes get tired? And I think in both cases in this game, we saw evidence that the offensive line wore down a little bit as the pass rush continually leaned on them play after play after play. In particular, I thought... Miles Garrett did a did a very good job of of uh, tiring out his opponents, and even more on the other side. I thought Hurst got tired and wore down as the as the game went on. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little later, but uh, but that's something maybe the Ravens can address. Right, and that's something. Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit with maybe some rest in and and rotation. Um, you want to move into the offensive line? I know sure. your, your your article up on Russell Street Report has Stanley as having his best game of the year? Yeah, that's that's right. So Stanley uh, certainly scored the best he has all year. Uh, a .88 raw score. Now, he only had two half charges for negative events. One half of a penetration, which means somebody beat him into the backfield and, and took somebody down for a loss. And one-third of a quarterback hit that really the initial pressure was Hurst getting Flacco bumped. Uh, but then uh, Stanley also allowed Miles uh, Miles Garrett to phone booth the pocket on the opposite side. So uh, a .88 raw score. Uh, he gets almost the largest possible adjustment for Miles Garrett. I gave him .09. So that's .97. A high, nice high A for Stanley. His best game of the year. One of the best games of his career. And definitely a signature game against a top young opponent. Uh Last three weeks now, Stanley has put together an A minus, a B, and an A, and that is returning to the Stanley of old. That is the guy the Ravens need at left tackle, and the Ravens eventually want in their ring of honor sometime in the future. We didn't see all all that much of that Stanley last year. We did see it in the second half of his rookie year, and uh, he really needs to keep that up. Still wearing that wrap. I'm still concerned that he, he might not be completely healed from everything, but he certainly is playing at a high level. Right, it's got to be the health coming together that that's bringing him up, I would think. I mean, he's not preparing for this game any differently than all the others. No, he he's not. Um, they may be giving him some additional help that's helping, a little more help from Lewis in this game, maybe a couple more chip blocks than he had in previous games. Uh, but but he did an excellent job against Miles Garrett. He, there's just no two ways about it. He did a better job slowing down Miles Garrett than on the other side. Hurst did showing down slowing down Jannard Avery who is not nearly as good a pass rusher. All right. Uh, you mentioned Lewis. He played a good game, too. 
Yeah, uh, his best game of the year as well. So, you know, this is a 12 to 9 loss. So they scored nine points through overtime, and you've already got two offensive linemen playing their best games of the year. But just to go through this a little bit, there were 84 scored snaps in this game. The Ravens' offensive line was not even penalized once. There were two sacks in the game, but one of them uh, was really only a pressure, and the sack was charged to Flacco. Uh, actually, it was an ample time and space opportunity with the, char- the entire charge going to Flacco. So that's actually fairly rare that that occurs. Uh, so there, there wasn't a lot of negative points to be handed out in this game. Uh, you know, Five-sixths of the one sack went to Skura. Uh, other than that, you had a few quarterback hits and a number of pressures, but uh, but those are a lower charge. And the scores tended to be pretty good this week. So anyway, Lewis, uh, a .80 raw score. Uh, he surrendered three full pressures. Those were his only real big negative uh, elements. He did give up half a quarterback hit as well in the game and a half a penetration. Uh, 0.80 per play with an adjustment. That's a B at guard. And all I can say is that is a big sigh of relief uh, on this end of the the headset here because he is a player the Ravens really need or really want to know what they have as quickly as possible before they were forced to give up on him. After you know he'd been playing a kind of a declining rate the last two weeks he'd been D. So for him, a, a, you know, against reasonably good competition to jump up and get a B. That's a that's a good good solid turnaround game, and I hope he can build on it. All right, that's good. Uh, you mentioned Skura. He's the guy who on that line that struggled on Sunday. Yeah, very much so. So Skura's results, by the way, have mirrored the team's results for, for the five games this year. So his bad games were both Cincinnati and Cleveland, which he scored, a, I think, a D-minus or a D and an F. And uh, those two games are the two teams' losses. The other games, he's gotten a B or higher. And so he's uh, uh, you know been good when the team has, has won. This was a game where he got pushed around a little bit. Uh, the defensive tackle, Larry Ogunjobi, who is in the middle of that defensive line, we didn't probably know too much about him before we had uh, uh, Jeff Lloyd come on and tell us a little bit about him on the on the Cleveland Know Your Foe podcast. But uh, he's a guy who, who had a lot of success in this game in terms of the bull rush. He did it versus Skura, and, and he got some others uh, versus Yolanda, Yanda and Lewis as well. So uh, he, he made some hay in this game, and uh, he eventually, uh, let's see, he got, I don't have the number here, but Skura gave up four pressures, one and a half quarterback hits, half a penetration, and he gave up, I gave him five-sixths of the charge for the sack that was charged to the offensive line. Works out to .66 per play. Uh, at center, that's not a good score at all. Even after adjustment, it's a high F and .03 short of a D-. minus. So, uh, it's high F. Believe me, we have seen a lot worse in Baltimore from center since Matt Burke has left town. Uh, going through the years of Gradkowski, who probably had about five games in one season like that, and some games from Zuda of that type, uh, including some fall off the table games. Uh, we've seen a lot worse, but uh, Skura needs to improve. And, uh, you know, if he had two more games in a row like this, I think he'd probably be out at center. Uh, one more game, I think he probably still maintains his job, but we'll see where we are uh, after this next week. Right, right, because we've been talking highly of him and and saying he's been doing well for that transition. Um, That's right. Yanda, people like to hate on Yanda, and I know he struggled before this game with the false starts and stuff. It was nice to have a game without, without that issue, but uh, Yanda's still playing pretty well, right? Oh, Yanda's playing extraordinarily well. And actually, I, I just would, I'm just i trying to look up now and see if Yanda's actually been penalized this season because he got a holding call that, I, that I'm not sure if the league has corrected. And, and if they haven't yet, then they won't still probably. But no, he has not been penalized this season. The false start was Hurst. So oh, that the, and the, league, All right. the league did fix it. It was, you're, it was called that way originally, but the league fixed it after the fact. And what, what I'll say about this is that Yanda's playing probably at the highest level he ever has, at least – very close to the highest level he's ever had. And the team is asking him to do more than they've ever asked him to do in terms of being the glue that holds together that right side between Skura and and Hurst. And you see him regularly having to pin that center, we've talked about this, for Skura to take, sorry, pin the defensive tackle so Skura can block him one-on-one. And then moving over to try and create a help block for Hurst to knock him, knock the uh, whoever is bullying Hurst at the time, uh, you know, back behind the pocket. So he's got a lot of responsibility in that sense. 
it's kind of fortunate that the other teams are using a four-man rush. I think if they occupied Yonda, all of a sudden Hurst and Skura would have a lot more difficulty blocking. But uh, as they've rushed the quarterback, and most teams are trying to just rush four against the Ravens and you know, drop into coverage and force Flacco to make some unforced errors, uh, you know, I think that that's actually helped Yonda be able to, to play this uh, game where he can help two linemen next to him each play better. So uh, in this game, he, he didn't, he didn't uh, make all his blocks. He had a difficult reach block that ended up going for a quarterback hit to Ogunjobi. Uh, he had another play where he, had to, he was asked to pull on a passing play. Now, you usually associate pull with running plays, but because the Ravens run on balance, they often will pull on a passing play also. And on that particular play, he pulled and had to block Miles Garrett on the other side of the pocket. And he slowly got backed into Flacco. And uh, unfortunately, that was a pressure and a very tough charge on that case. But uh, he scored .85 per play in this game with the with the adjustment, including a, a couple of highlight blocks. He got to an A minus in this game. Uh, not nearly his best game of the year, but he's been playing at such a high level. I I, uh, I couldn't be happier. And I think you can you can really set aside all the talk of him not being the same player after the injuries he suffered the last couple of years. All right, that's exciting. Uh... Finally, on the line, Hurst, it seemed like he fell apart in overtime. Was he tired? Do you think? Yeah, that's that is that's a really good question. Let's let's defer that question for just a moment. But yeah, I think that that he didn't. He certainly gave up a lot of pass rush events in overtime. So just in the last five minutes of overtime, in fact, on three consecutive snaps, he allowed either a pressure or a portion of a quarterback hit. Uh, he had, one of them was actually a pass defense by Avery at the line of scrimmage. So it, it was a bad finish to a game that he actually started very well. In the, almost all the way through the first half, uh, he did not have a charge. Late in the first half, he had a shared penetration on a run play, and then Garrett uh, beat him outside for a quarterback hit with 28 seconds left of the half. But uh, other than that, he, he'd really played well, had a couple of nice highlight blocks. One of the nicest highlight blocks you'll see is, is uh, at the very beginning of the game. It's about the third play of the game, Q1-14-10. Uh, he made a combination block to help Yonda hold a block line of scrimmage. They moved to level two and made a beautiful cut block on Schobert that just upended him like a top. It was it was a, a beauty to see. If you like that kind of thing, go back and take a look at that play. Getting back to your point, Josh, about him tiring as the game went on, you know, the Ravens have committed an awful lot of resources to make Hurst look pretty good. And Hurst has, has a C in this game. He's been, all his scores have been, all his grades has been, a, been between a B and a C for the entire season. So it's not like he's lost the job personally in any way, shape, or form, or, or in any obvious way, shape, or form. But what I will say about this is the Ravens are doing an awful lot to help him get there. And if, if I look through the various things, the first thing is that, um, Yonda, first of all, let's, let's start with the unbalanced line. That's the first thing, because they ran that nine times on Sunday against the Brown. Now, what, what happens in unbalanced line formation? Well, when it's a five-man unbalanced line, you move one tackle to the opposite side. That's what the Ravens always do with their unbalanced formations anyway. And when they do that, they always tuck Hurst, which means they put him on the inside, essentially have him play guard in an unbalanced formation, and they have Stanley always on the outside, and it means Lewis... Uh, or Yonda is the outside player on the other side of the formation. So effectively, they're changing the formation and playing on balance in part to hide Hurst's weakness as a pass blocker. So that's something. That's one way in which the Ravens are helping him in this. Okay. There are there are other scheme ways in which he's getting a lot of help. The Ravens threw 15, 15 blocks by eligible receivers on the right side in this game alone. So that is an awful lot for one game. Now, six of those were set blocks, meaning that meaning it was a, a tight end or a running back staying in the block. And even if I take out the two that were Orlando Brown, who was inserted as a tight end eligible, uh, I still have four blocks that were set on that side. And then there were nine others where they're chipping. And you say, well, that's not so bad. You know, a chip block means the running back can still go out into the route. But the problem is the running back can't run just any route off of a chip block. He can really only run some form of outlet uh, route where he maybe can run a short outlet to the sideline or he can just be there about four yards from the line of scrimmage ready to receive the, the, the dump off from Flacco if he can't get his primary uh, lined up. 
So there's not a lot of ways in which the running back can be particularly useful after a chip block. It's usually going to be only a short gain. It uh, also puts that the inside linebacker in a very advantageous position to cover that cover that running back when he's much more of a challenge if he can be crossing in front of him or he, better yet crossing behind him. So uh, it really is not as good a use of a running back, not nearly when they have to chip on the play. That said, Hurst has been the beneficiary of some outstanding chip blocks the last couple of weeks. He's gotten some good blocking from Buck Allen. He's got some tremendous rib-cracking chip blocks from uh, Alex Collins, which is, which is I think, one of the big improvements in Collins' game. We've mentioned that, I think, already once or twice on the show here the last couple of weeks. So that's number two in terms of the way he's getting help. And number three we mentioned earlier is all these help blocks he's getting from Yonda. And as long as those hold up, well, they're a valid component of, the, of you know having a four-man rush against the Ravens and, and a way that the Ravens can stop it. Once they start facing more five-man rush, and, and uh, Yanda is not available to help in such situations, that creates more trouble for Hurst to block his man and be able to stand up to that bull rush that so far has given him a lot of trouble this year. So th- th- those are my issues anyway with, with Hurst at right tackle. It's not like he's played off the charts bad or anything. It's just I don't think his overall C-plus grade is a really accurate reflection of how good his pass blocking has been. Gotcha. But isn't... Don't we have Orlando Brown Jr. waiting right there in the wings and needing so, some opportunities? Yeah. So, you know, they, obviously Orlando Brown Jr. is the, is the person everyone in town wants to talk about in terms of how do you bring in another, another lineman or how do you get Orlando Brown into the lineup and move Hurst to left tackle right. and get Lewis off the field? The, the problem is the Ravens really have six linemen I think they still believe in. And that includes Hurst. They believe at Hurst, maybe at right tackle, but they believe in him probably more at left guard. They believe at Lewis, maybe at left guard, and they're not sure where else because I don't think now they're they're really entertaining the idea of moving him to center anymore. Um, and and they believe in uh, Orlando Brown at right tackle probably, but they have, must have some reservation or they wouldn't have him in there, or they would have him in there, I should say. What I found interesting is that when Orlando Brown came in for the six-man line, you could line up differently. You could have Orlando Brown line up a tackle and Hurst line up a tight end so that he's the guy on the outside. They didn't do that. They put Orlando Brown on the outside, and that tells me they probably think he's a better pass blocker than Hurst on the edge in those situations. So I'm not sure why at this point they don't want to pull the trigger. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but with an 84-snap game, couldn't you have found a way to rotate these guys where Brown plays 40 to 50 snaps at right tackle and Hurst moves to left guard for 20 or 30 of those and then also you give up 20 or 30 snaps from from uh, Lewis at left guard. And so you get a little bit of rotation going on. You have a little bit fresher players at those three positions and maybe they're a little bit less susceptible to the bull rush as the game moves on from defensive linemen who've been in there for the full amount of snaps that they would otherwise play. So I think I normally really hate rotation. I like continuity of the line. I like every lineman to play every snap. But this is one particular case in one particular game where I thought it would have been nice to get Brown in for some of those snaps. And you didn't have to do it from the beginning, but once you saw kind of how long this game was going, the fact that it might stretch into overtime, that's a good time to get Brown in the game and, and see what he can do and maybe have some snaps for Hurst at left, left guard as well. Yeah, and the type of offense that the Ravens are playing this year, they're doing a lot of rotating other guys in and out. They're doing three running backs. Mm-hmm. They're bringing Lamar in. They're they're switching three three tight ends. I mean, they're rotating all these guys in. They're controlling the ball. They've got time to get the big guys off and do the same thing. It's working in other positions. So why not try it here when you've got yeah. six guys you like? You know, that's a really terrific point, and, and it's worth mentioning that – one of the good points about what you just said is that it does not disrupt some no-huddle plans that the Ravens have to make these kind of substitutions. They're already in and out with Lamar Jackson. We saw the the, the uh, officials hold up the game on multiple occasions in this one because Lamar Jackson had come on the field and they were allowing the Browns to switch defensively. Right. I wish they always did that when Belichick did this kind of stuff to us. But but anyway, they they uh, they did do a good job in this game of, of suspending play when, when uh, changes were made. Oftentimes, Orlando Brown has come on with Lamar Jackson in a package. We've seen that the last couple of games a couple of times. So I, I, I don't see any reason why you can't slip Orlando Brown on the, on the field, either even in the middle of a drive uh, when you want to make changes. All right. That was my next question was why not just attach Orlando Brown to Lamar and you give a guy a break at the same time of getting Lamar out there. So they're already looking at that. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so let's see. Um, let's we talk about we, yeah. I think we've we've gone through really the debate over the uh, the offensive line shuffle that I wanted to talk about, which included you know Lewis moving. But it's it's really just a matter of I think they really believe in all three of those guys. Skura might be the guy that they're closest to on. I really don't know. Maybe it's Lewis at this point that they that they believe in a little less. But uh, but I don't really think anybody is all that close to losing their job. I think it's a case of they might have a better player still waiting in the wings with Brown than than some of the other combinations of options that they have. All right. I want they, to. They've seen, they, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm going to say one more thing about this. They, they've solved this at cornerback. I don't know if they've solved it, but they have three guys they want to play at outside corner spots. They don't really want to take Tavon Young out of the game. They made that clear by playing him every snap when he wasn't in the concussion protocol that they had the nickel on the field. So what they, and I'm accepting the big nickel there, but they did basically, they didn't use Carr any time where they could have had Young as the slot corner. Right. So anyway, if they can play three different cornerbacks on the outside and they can realize the fact that having having three players is of use there, I don't see why they can't do a little rotation on the offensive line as well if they have three guys they really want to look at. I, I agree. Um, I wanted to get to the skill positions, the receivers, the tight ends. And unfortunately, we got to start with Crabtree because Crabtree's taken the blame for this game. As you mentioned earlier, he had the big drop in the end zone. He's had a lot of drops this season. And I'm yeah. I'm shocked that Joe was still throwing it to him in the second half. Right. Well, I, they made a point at one point that he they actually looked away from him, and that as soon as I heard that, I'm like, wow, that is really a a, a big deal. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, he's he was among the league leaders in um, uh, drops. I think he was tied for the league lead with five drops coming into this week. He had two in the early going. I made a tweet about it. And then the touchdown pass, I don't know if they're considering it a drop or not, but he, sh- he definitely should have caught it. And uh, he may have eight drops at this point, which is just unbelievable, given the number of, uh, of total targets he's had. So uh, really unfortunate what, what's happened to Crabtree. This is you know what you get on the veteran wide receiver availability market, particularly among at the level where the Ravens can afford. So uh, anyway, it is what it is. You know who's still you know who's still available. <laughs> yeah, you see, same <laughs> issues. Except it also may have some trouble getting open. Yes. Uh, you know, for for all of what Crabtree is, I I don't really want the circus that comes with having uh, uh, Brian in town. So uh, it is what it is. I'm I'm I think the Ravens will suffer through this year. I I don't think they want to spend any more money at wide receiver. They should. They certainly shouldn't want to. If there was some option where a team that's in the dumps is really trying to get rid of a star receiver. I think you kind of consider it and look at it and decide if you can trade draft capital for salary cap effectively, let that let the other team pick up some of the salary and you trade a, a little bit higher draft pick than you otherwise would. I'd consider that for a season like this where the team otherwise looks looks to be pretty solid. But uh, but right now, uh, I don't think that's the answer. I, I still would like to see Chris Moore play more at that's, this point. But, that's uh, exactly what was, was my suggestion was going to be. At what point do you have to just – Give him a break and, and, and say, hey, Joe's not going to trust you to throw the ball to you. So let's, let's see what Chris Moore can do. Chris Moore showed some exciting stuff in preseason. Let's give him a shot. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a fair question. And, uh, and if Flacco is really at that point, I think he'll probably have a, uh, you know, something to say about it. And they're going to have to deal with their scripted plays against the Titans. Because, you know, you usually script first 15, 20, 30, 25 plays. And in, in those plays, they need to decide which receiver they want to emphasize to try and build some f- trust with Flacco. I, I think, honestly, I think Flacco will still throw the ball Crabtree when he's open. I, I don't think that that's, that's gone. I think he lost it maybe for a portion of this game, but I think he'll be back. I, you know, I, I would like for them to have some scripted plays to more. He, he made a very big 20-yard catch on third and four that got the Ravens out of a big hole uh, in the overtime it was. And really came pretty close to giving him a chance to win before his own IBW penalty knocked him out of field goal range. So I, I just I would like to see a bigger opportunity and a bigger role for him. And I think a lot of the teams, uh, you know, some of the same routes that would be good for a tight end to run would also be good Chris Moore routes. Yeah, I'd love to talk to a football player at some point about Crabtree because he is he's a veteran player. He he's. I mean, if the Ravens didn't sign him, someone else was going to sign him. He's a proven guy, 
but the past couple of years has been dropping the ball like crazy. Yeah, it dropping the ball, scoring touchdowns. He's been a good red zone threat, and we've seen some of his good toe tapping ability in the back of the end zone. But it just he Lofton, you know, an ex wide receiver in the NFL for many years, pointed out that you know he's he's obviously thinking too much about how to catch the football, and, right? Whether to pull it in or yeah. stretch out his arms. Yeah, it just it did it didn't look like it. the one play where he said it, the particular play where he said it. It didn't look like his hands were positioned like a receiver would normally catch the ball. He's like almost catching the ball underhanded. And I, I just, anyway, I, I'm sure receivers have different ways to do it, but you get away from the basic diamond that you, that, you know, shows you the perfect logo on the gloves. Right. And, and it's generally, you know, not a great position to catch the ball. So uh, I know you have to adapt when the ball's not in that exact position relative to your body, but still, I, it does appear like he's thinking it through too much. All right, so he's got the Chris Davis problem right now. There you go, yeah. Um, John Brown, four catches on 14 targets. Is that, be, are those other 10 targets, is it because they're using him for the long ball and uh, Joe some just of, wasn't connecting distance-wise? Yeah, some of it was long ball. There are obviously some, some bad throws along the sideline. Uh, I don't think Brown did too much to you know, not catch a catchable ball. I think in this game, it was more a case of he, some of it, he wasn't really open and he had some contested balls that he has a hard time with because he doesn't have the big body to box out. And some of it was on the sideline where the contested balls are just very difficult to catch and stay in bounds. So, you know, it was, it was a little bit of an off game from him. I kind of wish they'd gone to him less if he was not really more open than that. And the group that didn't get the attention is the tight ends. I mean, they got nine targets the whole game. Well, you activated four tight ends. You activated Hurst for the first time, and you want to drive this Ferrari, or maybe it's a Corvette, or maybe it's only a Taurus, but let's see what it can do, damn it, uh, you know, in terms of, of his ability to catch the football. And he, he only got targeted twice, one catch for seven yards. That's just not exciting. Andrews had been you know, just opening up the middle of the field like nobody, and I think he only got two um, two targets in the game. He might have been the one who had three, but they only had nine among all of their uh, tight ends and five catches in total for 41 yards. That's not enough. You well, have to yeah. four tight ends. You play two a lot of plays. You want one. Right, and with guy, big guys like Andrews and Hurst, those guys are made to go across the middle and, and, and go right there. And Andrews has been proving that, as you, as you said. So it seemed weird to abandon that in this game. Yeah, that's right. If the other team, and this is a lot, largely what the Browns did in this game, plays cover two safety, and a lot of that is a, is a fact that they don't really trust most of their pass defense. The, the the Browns linebackers are not work backwards guys. They are downhill run stopping guys, and and it would have been you know a great opportunity to try and really challenge them over the top in front of the safeties and see what the tight ends can do. And for whatever reason, you know that's just not nearly enough opportunity there for for that group. All right. Um, what's up with Alex Collins? Why is he not on the field that much? Yeah, I think he might have been hurt in this last game. He kept getting rewrapped, and I thought that was a good sign, expected him to come back. And then he did eventually come back, and he just didn't play as, as much as I would have hoped or expected him to do. So hopefully we won't show up on the injury report tomorrow for practice, and he'll be back at least practicing full, and then we'll just have to worry about is it effectiveness, is it a doghouse situation, what might be the issue. But – the one thing Alex Collins is doing very well, and we mentioned it before, is pass blocking. So y you want to try and have him in on some of those plays. He's he's a dangerous after-the-catch runner. Uh, I think a lot more dangerous, frankly, than Buck Allen in, in terms of what he can do for breaking tackles that we've seen. Uh, but but anyway, I, I would love to see him on in more passing situations. I, I'd also like to see the, the Ravens run at least as much as they have right now. Uh, it, I don't... Them throwing 59 times in a game obviously is not optimal for a close game like this. There were times when they could have run more. I don't know how much more it would have really helped them in this game to run more, but I do want Collins getting more of those running opportunities. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, let's get to the mailbag. Again, get in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag or comment on anything film study labeled over at Russell Street Report and we'll gather those questions in as well. So Ken, the first one up is from Mitchell. Which of our four tight ends are running the best routes and getting the most separation? And which ones, on the other hand, are blocking the best? 
Okay, that's that's a real good question, and it's actually really easy to answer, so that's good. We don't know what Hurst is yet, either as a blocker or in terms of separation, and I don't think we saw enough in the preseason really to judge him specifically as a blocker. He looked pretty good as a receiver in the preseason. But Andrews uh, is by far running the best routes and exploiting the middle of the field most. It shows up in the yards per catch, uh, and he does a lot with it. Boyle is it might be... Uh, the best at breaking tackles, but he's not, he's just a move the chains guy. He's not a, a, you know, a deep route guy, but Boyle and Williams are both good blockers and uh, Williams has, has played some fullback. So is Boyle. Uh, they both play on the edge in heavy formations. And so they're the two best blockers right now that the Ravens have. And that's why I think because they've got this kind of well uh, uh, spread out set of abilities in the, in their uh, tight ends. I, I think they don't really want to let any go, even though the Ravens might be at the point where they need an extra cornerback more than they need a fourth tight end. Uh, you know, each of them is still providing something to the offense. All right. Um, run blocking. This is from Keith. Run blocking on the O-line is a concern for me. Their lack of size and strength limits the power running game, while their speed to pull is bad and limits the runs to the outside. Is the answer in-house, or can they scheme better runs? Well, the one thing I've been incredibly impressed with in the Roman D'Alessandris era is the ability of those guys to make lemonade out of lemons uh, in terms of offensive linemen. I mean, Hurst was a good pulling guard last year and and you may say he didn't have the speed but he hit on a high percentage of his of his um, pulls Lewis is is not doing quite as well this year but he's not terrible either at it and he is enough of ahead of the play for a patient runner to take advantage of that Collins tends to want to bounce 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 to the outside and kind of always takes takes that route I think more of it is actually on Collins to be a little more patient and find that inside lane more of the time uh, to get a level two opportunity that way. Because Collins, once he gets to level two, very dangerous runner. Uh, he, he has a lot of tackle-breaking ability, and the, and the Ravens just need to find ways to manufacture more of those. I actually have pretty good confidence that the Ravens are going to get that part of their game turned around. I don't think it's an, enough of a component of the offense in total on its own. It, maybe it helps play action a little bit to do that. Maybe it helps them control and finish games, but it's not really, it's not the component that's going to put them ahead and, and get them the leads they need to protect. I, uh, yeah, I gotcha there. Um, I like this question from Jalen because he wants someone to blame. He wants to simplify this whole game into two seconds. <laughs> By what, uh, what can you specifically point to on our offense that cost us the game? Was it the play calling, the dropped passes, Flacco's one-yard interception throw, or the lack of staying with the run game? Okay, so I'm, I guess I'm going to start with you always go with the highest leverage uh, situations first. So uh, both the drop by um, Crabtree in the end zone and the interception at the one-yard line were tremendously high leverage in terms of how many, how many points – and, and win probability, they cost the team. So uh, expected points, expected wins, they lost on both of those. Expected wins, they really lost a lot on the Crabtree drop. Uh, you know, I might say that was a less bad play than the Flacco interception. Uh, the Flacco interception also, you know, if you use the fallacy of the predestined play, as John Miller used to, used to call it, uh, w- would have won them the game if any score on that right. drive. Uh, but it, but in truth, you know, we don't know if the if the game would have played out that way. It would have certainly put the Ravens in a better position uh, to, to play the rest of it. But they had a whole lot of other opportunities they didn't convert either. Uh, general uh, use of field position that first half was not good, and uh, Crabtree's drops other places on the field did not help. Uh, a, n- a number of inconsistent plays and and the ability to string together incomplete passes was also a problem. So. I think there's a lot of blame to share here, and I don't think you you can you have to even look only at Crabtree and Flacco. Yeah, and I I for the past few weeks have been praising and putting the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators in my um, in my MVPs each week because I've really enjoyed the play calling. It was not that way this Sunday. I think that Flacco one yard interception that's on the coordinator for calling a pass and play. You just should be hammering the ball in at that point, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you know that's a that's a really good point. So I, I I agree. The only the only thing I'm crossing off his list is the staying with the run game, just because I'm tired of the the running causes you to win. Right. I I would love for the game to be more balanced, 
such that you could run or pass to win or you could play defense or offense to win. But the way the rules of the game work right now, it's all about how can your quarterback exploit the other team's defense yep. to the greatest possible degree with the passing game. Right, right. Um, all right, Andy gets in. Did they run any different defense scheme, referring the Browns, than the other teams that the Ravens offense uh, could, or could the Ravens offense just not get going? Were the Ravens uh, bad, or was the Browns defensive players better? I, you know, I, I mentioned the big thing is about the pass rush and how the Browns approached it, but they they really uh, did not emphasize numbers in total in the game. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Josh hates it when I do this. Nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, out of 59 passes, they only rushed five or more 13 times. That's a team that is very committed to a four-man pass rush. Um, and they did, they did some three as well. So I think the Browns determined that the formula to win, and I think a lot of teams will, will figure on this, is drop seven or even eight into coverage and try and get Flacco to make the mistake that beats himself. Uh, the Ravens don't have great separation receivers uh, other than maybe Brown. Uh, so they, they really need to figure out how to use big bodies to make contested catches in that kind of an environment, and that can be tough. When you, you get something going wrong, it's usually an interception under those circumstances. All right. Uh, Mark is looking well past this game, and he was, wants to talk about with the, with the talk of the surprise in Skura, the up-down Lewis, and Zeus Jr. not being out there yet. What are your picks for the best starters at each O-line spot in Ravens history? Oh, and, okay, so and four history, of these are, so, are, are really yeah. easy. So John Ogden, obviously, at, at left tackle. Of course. Uh, uh, at left guard, I think you'd have to go with Grubbs as the guy uh, who, who uh, was there for the longest and the best. Some people might say Mulatalo, but Grubbs, I thought, played a higher level in Mule. Uh, at center, no doubt about it, Matt Burke. Uh, he was he was a, a terrific player for many years. Yonda is an absolute at at right guard, and so right tackle is really the only question. It comes down to a couple different players. Uh, Zeus played a little bit more time there. Uh, Michael Orr had some some years of decent play there. Well, you're, you're putting Michael Orr in for for best well, ever uh, at right tackle. I mean, okay. you know, it's not a lot to choose from. So, so but my right. choice would actually be Rick Wagner, as as being the, the right, Rick the, Wagner, the okay. best of the group. All right, I like those picks. I wish we had that line today. Yeah, that would be good. All right, that's all the mailbag. But before we get out of here, I do need to bring up the Ravens cut Tim White and sign Cyrus Jones. We've been talking about the special teams not really doing anything for the Ravens. Is this going to make a difference? Uh, Probably not. I think the, the Cyrus Jones pick is a combination pick to try and get another healthy cornerback while they continue to wait on Anthony Averett. They obviously, what's good about the Anthony Averett situation is they clearly really believe in him. They think he's going to be back. They think he's going to be back not too long from now. And they obviously, they've, they've got a very good player waiting in the wings there, or they wouldn't do this. They just IRM and they, they might bring him back or they might not at midseason. But in any, any case, they, they are where they are with Averett. I think Cyrus Jones had a chance to get a fifth corner uh, on, on the active roster for game day and also get a return guy out of it. Uh, do I really think he'll be any better than Tim White in terms of returns? He's had his own problems uh, in New England uh, doing that, and so I'm not sure that he will be, but uh, he's the next guy up designated to get a chance, and uh, they obviously like him somehow. They, they acquired him for the second time this year, and this time they're not losing him back to Belichick. Right, right, right. All right. All this is up on Russell Street Report. I go along with pull out this article, go to Game Pass. You got the time stamps and everything there. Appreciate that. If if uh, if you look at that, offensive line scoring charts are also out there. Uh, if you want to see consistency of scores through the year and how that's uh, how that works, follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Always appreciate that great conversation during the day. If you want to toss out questions, and they usually go to other analysts that'll answer them as well. Uh, tell them uh, what you're up to, Josh. Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Josh Soroka and go on over to birdlandsports.com. And now that you've all caught up on film study podcasts, we still got a few more days until uh, the Ravens Titans game. So check out some of the other podcasts out there. Check out Dade's view. He just had a new episode post tonight as well. So go up there, check that out. Uh, little short 20 minute, really informative, fun podcast to listen to. So check him out. 
All right. That sounds good. I, I, I really appreciate it when we had Dade on the show and listened to his very first podcast, and it was very well done. I was impressed with how, how well he did it. He's a solo producing operation there. Yes. Yeah, he does it all himself. One man show, and each episode gets better. So go, check, all right, well, go check it out. Very good to hear. All right, Ken. Well, we will talk uh, after the Titans game. Thank you, Josh. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.